Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, even though I'm not here in person. It's good to be able to speak to you this morning, and I really wish I could be with you and wish I could be seeing your faces, but unfortunately, I'm stuck in quarantine, and I, I thought about having somebody else come and speak, but I, I really am excited about God's Word today, excited about the message, and so, so I wish I could be here with you, but, um, but, but I'm, I'm just excited for you to hear um, what God's saying today. It, we're looking at the story of Elijah, and, and the story of Elijah is the story of a faithful man. Elijah is one of the most faithful characters we have in Scripture, and, and it's not only Elijah's faithfulness to God, but it's God's faithfulness and provision to Elijah. And so, so far in the first three weeks, we looked at the fact that, that God provides for Elijah. He sends him. Elijah shows up on the scene and, and proclaims the message of God that it's not going to rain again because the people have turned to idols. And, and Elijah says, it's not going to rain until I say so, until God says so. And, and then God sends him to, through this time of being provided for. And, and then the second week, you know, we talked about the big showdown that at Mount Carmel, when Elijah faces off against 450 prophets of Baal, and they have this contest to show who the real God is. And basically what happens is God shows up, God sends fire from heaven and consumes it all. And, and the prophets of Baal and all the other gods couldn't deliver. And so we have this huge moment, this big win. And then last week we talked about the fact that God brings rain. Elijah's whole purpose in going back to Ahab, Mount Carmel, the whole deal is that God has said, I'm going to bring the rain. The drought was there and it was because of the people's unfaithfulness, but, but now God's going to bring the rain. And so it's God's job to bring the rain. It's our job to pray for it. And so I hope that's been where you've been this week, that you've been praying just that God would continue to be faithful, that God would bring the rain. Um, so so we, we're coming off Mount Carmel. I'm setting up the stage here. We're coming off Mount Carmel. It's this big victory. And then Elijah says, I'm going to pray until God sends the rain. And all of a sudden, boom, God sends the rain. And, and where we left at the end of 1 Kings chapter 18 is, is the rain is coming and the Spirit of the Lord overcomes Elijah, and he takes off, and he runs 15 miles ahead of Ahab and his chariot. So there's this, like, miraculous, powerful, spirit-filled moment, and, and Elijah's just all systems go. And so I just want to stop, and, and I want you to take a second, and, and I want you to think about, like, okay, we, we have Elijah proclaiming we have God providing in this three, three and a half years of drought and hiding, and then we have the big victory, and then we have Elijah's faithfulness and prayer, and God shows up and God brings the rain, and Elijah gets up and take off, takes off. I want you to think about if we were writing the story or if we're following the story, what would we think would happen next? I mean, you can even take a second and, and turn to the person next to you and just say, like, if you were writing this story, what do you think should happen next? Elijah's filled with the Spirit. He runs ahead of Ahab. God has proven that, that God is God and that all the other false gods that the people had turned to are, are not God. And so Elijah runs ahead, and, and what do you think should have happened next? Well, one of the reasons I, I love this text today is because what happens is not what we think 
should happen, but, but I think what happens is very real to life. See, I, I, I'm just going to guess as you thought about that, as you maybe talked to the person next to you, that, that your thought would be, okay, Elijah stood firm, he was faithful, God showed up, the people bowed and said, the Lord is God, Elijah ran ahead, and so, so the next step is probably what? I'm guessing you would think, just like I would think, that the next step is some big parade. Maybe it's a, an apology tour that, okay, Ahab and Jezebel and everyone else need to apologize to Elijah for what, what's happened. And, you know, it's this great moment of victory and celebration. Well, that's not what happens. And so we're going to be in 1 Kings 19, and, and I, I just think this text is incredibly true to what we experience in life, especially when we come off these moments of great um, celebration and great exhilaration, and, and, and I think more often than not, when, when we think we know what should happen next, what happens next does not always match what we think, and, and that's true here in 1 Kings 19, so I'll pick it up in verse 1, you can follow along with me on the screen. And, and I'll go ahead, even though I'm not there, I'll have you stand with me for the reading of God's word. It says in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it um, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So, so she sends the messenger and says, may God deal with me, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. We're going to stop there. Next week we're going to pick up after that. But we have this, you know, okay, what we thought was going to happen was the parade, the apology tour. Elijah's going to be lifted up. He's the faithful when everything's perfect, right? Instead... Instead, we see something very different. We go from like sunshine and mountaintop at the end of 1 Kings 18 to difficulty and fear and darkness at the beginning of 1 Kings 19. And so 
Elijah goes from this filled with the Spirit, powerful moment of running to a moment of fear and anxiety. Let's, let's look at 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything. Now listen to this. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. A few things I want to talk about here. Um, First off, Ahab. I mean, Ahab was there with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah says to Ahab, get up and go eat. I hear the sound of rain. The rain comes. Ahab says, go. I mean, Elijah says, go. So, I mean, Elijah... Ahab has seen firsthand that God is God. Ahab has seen firsthand that, that God is above all other gods. And, and Elijah has then said, hey, go. Things are going to be good. The rain is coming. But Ahab, instead of going and celebrating who God is, Ahab goes and he meets Jezebel. And he basically tattles on Elijah. He says, hey, it says here that he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, I find this fascinating because if you remember back to last week or two weeks ago, Elijah clearly says on Mount Carmel, he says, this is not my plan. This is not what I'm doing, but God, show up, show up and let your power be known so that they may know that this is you that's working. It's not my plan. It's your plan. And here we come down to 1 Kings 19, and and Ahab is blaming Elijah for all of this. And and so so Elijah goes from this faithful servant of God, this victorious faithful servant of God, to now he's being blamed, and he's the, the scapegoat. And so what happens next is Jezebel, who's a pretty evil woman, um, she threatens him, but it's, but it's not, I mean, it's kind of, in my opinion, it's kind of a weak threat. She says, she sends a messenger to Elijah. So think about this. Elijah's there. She sends a messenger to Elijah and says, hey, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. Now, does anybody else just think this is ridiculous? If you're going to send a messenger to Elijah... And if your plan is to kill Elijah, wouldn't you just have the messenger grab Elijah or kill Elijah? Wouldn't you have him brought back? But instead, Jezebel sends a messenger to threaten Elijah. I think there's something going on here. I think Jezebel knows that Elijah is not one to be messed with. See, see Jezebel has experienced the, the drought for three, three and a half years, at Elijah's words, at God's power. And, and now she knows that God showed up at Mount Carmel and that 450 prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And she knows that God is God. I, I really believe that. And so instead of just trying to kill Elijah, it's like she's too afraid to take the step. So she just threatens him. It, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, you know, like baseball, we, every once in a while someone will get hit with a pitch 
and, and all the benches clear and everybody runs out to the middle of the field and they all start looking at each other and, hey, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You know, don't come over here. I'm going to get you. But in reality, they never actually do anything. They're, they're not going to fight each other. They're just threatening. I think that's what happen, is happening here. I, see, I think, I think Jezebel knows that Elijah is God's messenger And she knows that she can't actually win over Elijah. So what she wants to do is she wants to threaten him and get in his head and mess him up. And so so guess what? Even though God has been faithful and provided, even though God shows up at Mount Carmel, even though God brings the rain, that threat works. And Elijah gets off track. Look at verse 3. It says Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. The guy that stood before 450 prophets of Baal and called on God, the guy that was, was kind of mocking them, saying, hey, your gods are nothing, maybe they're asleep, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So the man that was so bold, that was so strong to stand before King Ahab and say, it's not going to rain until I say so, the man that was so bold that he stood in front of all of the prophets of Baal and and Israelites and said, hey, your gods are asleep, my God is God. The, The man that was so bold all of a sudden, is terrified. He's afraid. And then I find this crazy in verse 4. He says, he prays that he might die, and he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. So we, we go from running for his life to begging God to take his life, and he says, I've had enough. All of the stuff that's happened over the past three and a half years, four years, all of the stuff, the drought, the brook drying up, the widow, her son dying, um, being brought back to life, all of this stuff that happened. And he's had enough now because Jezebel threatens him, doesn't capture him, doesn't do anything, just threatens to kill him. I I think something's going on here, and and there's a point that I want to make. I think a lot of times as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we, we think of the low times as the most dangerous times for us, that we're really, when we're really going through it, when we're really walking through valleys of darkness, like that's, that's when we are at our most vulnerable. I gotta tell you, I, th- I think this story is in here for a reason, and I, I think the reason that, that we see this story, we probably wouldn't have included it um, but, but God's word includes it, and I think the reason is that, that there's something very real happening here. Elijah's been on the mountaintop. Um, Elijah's been in this, filled with the Spirit in this great place, and all of a sudden, there's a change. And, and I think this is so true to life. I think that oftentimes we are at our weakest when we are coming off of a mountaintop. I think when you've experienced the the great presence and power of God and you're on top of the mountaintop, a lot of times 
when we come down from that mountaintop, we are at our weakest, our most vulnerable point. So I, I got a kind of a funny story. This is a real life story happened here about a month ago. Uh, we had baptisms. You might remember the Sunday. I was, I was really, uh, you know, stuck my foot in my mouth and called the baptismal a hot tub and just really messed up there. But, but that Sunday was a great Sunday. We had lots of people get baptized, and, and it was just a great day, and it was kind of one of those mountaintop experiences where, where, you know, you just get excited to see what God's doing in the church, and as a pastor, man, Sunday, I was just, it, it was good, and so, so Monday came, and then Tuesday came, and, and on Tuesday, or I think, it, actually, it was Monday morning, we had staff prayer, and, um, and, and Pastor Jay said, hey, after prayer, will you help me um, to take down the baptismal? And I said, sure. And so after staff prayer, we started to work on getting it set up. And the way that it works is you put this pump down into the baptismal, and then you plug it in, and you run a hose outside, and it just slowly pumps all of the water from in the baptismal outside into a drain. And so we're setting all that up, but in the meantime, we kind of get a call saying, hey, don't do that. And so, so we change our plan, and we say, all right, we'll leave it. And so we take everything, and we put it away, and, and um, Jay winds that hose up next to the baptismal. We get everything put back, we think, and, and we, we take off. But there, there was one detail. See, we had plugged the pump into the front of the, the platform here. There's a plug here. And when we plugged it in, it didn't actually work. And, and so in all of the putting everything back, we forgot to unplug the pump. Now, the pump wasn't working. The plug wasn't working. We later found out that's because when the sound system is turned off, these plugs don't work. And so that's why the pump wasn't working. But we forgot to unplug the pump. And so I went ahead with my day and... and Eli called me, said, can you pick me up from school and bring me back to church? I need to do some work there. And I said, sure. So I went and got him and I brought him back. And Eli came into the, to the sanctuary and started working on lights. And I went to my office and started studying. And about 10, 15 minutes later, Eli texts me and says, Dad, you got to come here. Something's happening. And so I got up and I came in. He said, the baptismal's flooding. I look and all of a sudden we've got water all around the baptismal. See, when Eli came to program lights, he flipped the sound system on. When he flipped the sound system on, it turned the, the plugs up here on, which turned the pump on, and the pump started pumping water from in the baptismal down to the hose right next to the baptismal, just onto the floor right here in front of me. And so I came in, and what was a hot tub had now turned into a lazy river. And we had water everywhere. The funniest part of this is on the way to get Eli and bring him back, I was talking to Eli and I just said, Eli, I want to teach you something about life. And, and that's this, that, that sometimes when you have good things happen, you can expect to have difficult things happen. Sometimes when you're on those mountaintops, I was teaching him this lesson, when you're on the mountaintop, a lot of times that's when the enemy strikes because because you're, for some reason, susceptible to it. And so we get to church, and, and like 20 minutes later, we've got the lazy river. We've got, we've got a pool right here. And all of a sudden, it was like there was this attack, and there were these opportunities for frustration. And that mountaintop turned into a valley really quickly. 
Why are we more vulnerable when we're coming off a mountaintop? Have you ever experienced that? Can you relate with that? That, that when you've had great moments and, and you've been on the mountaintop, that, that it just seems like more often than not something comes up and attacks you and you can go from here to here really quickly. Man, I wish I could tell you that I, I get on the mountaintop and I stay there, but it is just so easy for things to happen. Man, it, this week has been a week that has just been full of of what I would consider a tax to, to bring me down. <laughs> it seems like when we're coming off the mountaintop, that's when we're vulnerable, that's when we're weak. Why is that? I think, number one, I think we're tired. And I think we're going to see this in the story. I think that when you're on the mountaintop and when God's doing incredible things and the Spirit's moving, that, that wears us out. And we become tired. And when you're tired... You're vulnerable. The second thing I think that, that's happening is when we come off a mountaintop, as we talked about at the beginning of this service, like we tend to think we know what should happen next. We think we know how the story should go, but oftentimes it doesn't go the way we expect, and that leaves us vulnerable. We, we expect the parade. We expect the celebration, and instead we get difficulty, and I think it's really hard for us to justify that. You know, it's parade time, but instead, for Elijah, now I'm in danger? Now my life is in danger? See, something's changed, and I, and I think this is, this is the important part for us to see today. Something has changed in Elijah. When we come off a mountaintop and we end up in a valley, something has changed. Let's look at what it is. It says here, um, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. See, the original text there, it doesn't say um, Elijah was afraid. The, the original text uses the word ra'ah, which means when he saw, when he perceived. So Jezebel threatens him, and when he saw that, when he perceived it, understood it, when his focus turned to that, he became afraid and ran for his life. The idea here. It is, is not that he just became afraid. The idea here is that he went from being a guy that was completely focused on God. I mean, he was so focused that he prayed in front of all of Israel that God would bring down the fire. And then he prayed, and seven times he said, go back. Remember last week? We were, we're focused in. We're praying for God's will. And all of a sudden in 1 Kings 19, he's not focused on that anymore. He's focused on this threat. He goes from being hyper-focused on God's will and God's mission to focused, hyper-focused on this threat that's right in front of him, and his focus shifts. We see this another place in Scripture when, when Peter is on the boat and Jesus walks out on the water, and Peter says, hey, let me walk out of the boat. Let me get out and walk on water to you. And Jesus says, come on out. And Peter steps out, and he's walking on water, and everything's good. And it says, but then he notices, he sees, he shifts his focus from Jesus to the wind and the waves, and all of a sudden what happens? He gets terrified, and he sinks See, see, I think what's happening here is that Jezebel has managed to shift Elijah's focus from God's power and God's provision to the circumstances around. And when we lose our focus, we will almost always end up 
in trouble. Elijah goes from being a man who is bold in the face of danger to a man who's running for his life to a man that's begging God to take his life. Man, I, I don't know about you, but there are just so many times I can think back to where, where I was on a mountaintop and then all of a sudden my focus got shifted and I ended up in big trouble. I ended up running for my life afraid. I ended up feeling lost. He went wrong. He turned away. But, but then this is where there's a shift in the story because for, for his focus being off, for him turning away, his focus away from God, all of a sudden he does something really right. And it's there in the text that we just read. It said, while um, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He prayed, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Now listen, I'm not saying that that's a real good prayer for Elijah to have right there. But what does Elijah do when he's lost, when he goes from the mountain to the valley? What does he do? He turns to God. He doesn't take matters into his own hands and say, I'm going to fix this myself. He, he's defeated. He's broken. He's hurting. But he goes and he sits down under the broom bush and he prays. To God. Listen, I, I'm not saying it's a good thing to pray that, that you might die, but I, but I want you to see this for Elijah, that his focus got off track, but all of a sudden he said, I'm going to bring my focus back, and I'm going to pray to the God that provides. When you are struggling, when you're in the valley, turn to God. That's the answer. Turn to God. He could have done things his way. He could, have, he could have taken matters into his own hands, but instead he made the right choice and he turned to God and he said, God, I'm struggling. Take my life. I can't handle it anymore. And, and God had his back. Verse five, then he lay down under the, broom, the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. He, his focus is off. He's in a valley. He turns to God. He prays to God. And guess what? God knows exactly what needs to happen. God provides once again. This whole story of Elijah, 1 Kings 17 to 19, is a story of God providing and working. And this is just another instance where Elijah's at an all-time low. He's done. He's ready to give up. He's come off the mountain, and he's in the lowest valley. And he turns to God, and God provides. Now, there's just a couple things I want to talk about here. God provides in a way that, you know, oftentimes when we say God provide, we think, as we talked about the first week, about like a supernatural. God's going to snap his fingers, and everything's going to be okay. And, and God does provide here in a supernatural way. All of a sudden, there's bread that's baked on hot coals. There's water. That's, a, that's pretty nice. And God provides through the supernatural. 
But, but then there's this simple thing that I don't want us to miss. A lot of times when we come off the mountaintop, we, we are vulnerable, right? And one of the reasons we're vulnerable is because we are tired. We're tired. And God says, essentially, eat, rest, eat some more, rest. That's what you need. God says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. See, God knows us. And God knows Elijah, and God says, I know that this is too much for you. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. So here's what you need. Eat. Rest. Eat. I will provide and give you the strength for the journey. Listen, I, I don't know if there's anyone here today or listening online. I don't know if there's anyone that just feels like you're in that place of discouragement. You're in the valley. You're, I mean, the lowest valley, the darkest valley. You're struggling. Turn to God. God knows exactly what you need. And so what happens here is this huge shift once again. We had the mountaintop. We had the shift of focus away from God and God's power and God's provision to the threat and the surroundings. And then we have this shift back to focus on God. And God, once again, is faithful to provide whatever it is that Elijah needs. He says, get some sleep. Eat. You need this to strengthen you on your journey. And what happens? Elijah's focus is back. He's strengthened by God's provision, and he's ready for the journey. Listen, I, I want to tell you, um, I, I wish that we stayed on mountaintops. I, I know there's some of you that may be on a mountaintop today. Maybe your, your focus is in a really good place. Maybe, you know, maybe you're there, and your focus is on God, and that's great. I, I just want to let you know, we see this in Scripture, that oftentimes following that the enemy will try to get our focus away from God. The enemy knows that God can't be defeated. We talked about it last week. We talk about it almost every week. God is greater. God is victorious. God's proven it on Mount Carmel. He's greater than all the other gods. The enemy just wants you to forget that. Wants you to get your focus on the surroundings, on the little things that have no power. But when we get our focus off, we're in trouble. So listen, some of you might be on the mountaintop today, and your focus may be good, you may be excited. Keep your focus on God. But there may be some here listening today that, that man, you went from that mountaintop, and maybe you're in one of those valleys, and maybe you're struggling, and you just want to sit down and die. I want to encourage you today that God is there, just as God was there by the brook, feeding Elijah, just as God was there with fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, just as God was there to bring the rain, God is with us in our lowest times. And if we'll keep our focus on him, he will provide everything we need. The worship team's going to come up now, and we're going to just sing a song. And as we sing this song, I want you to sing along. But more than anything else, I want you to get your focus on God. I want you to think about God's faithfulness. I want you to think about God's presence and power and provision in your life. And I want to make sure today, right now, that we're focused on him. Father, I thank you for your word. 
even though it doesn't turn out the way or, or it doesn't shift to the next part of the story, doesn't match what we would write or we think should happen, Lord, this is real life. And I know that there are some people today that are, are struggling because they've come down off the mountaintop. I know there are some people today that are struggling because they've gotten their focus off of you. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us right now would focus on you that we would remember who you are, what you've done, your faithfulness, your power, your presence in our lives. And I pray that whether we're on a mountaintop or whether we're in the lowest valley, that we would all turn to you right now and that you would give us exactly what we need for the journey ahead. We love you, Lord. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that no matter where it is that we are, you provide. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.